Welcome to Sea Time, everybody, the off-road show that brings you all the results, news, and online shenanigans that make being online a good time. We'd like to say thank you to Fly Racing for their support of Sea Time. Please go check them out at flyracing.com. Welcome to Seat Time, everybody. Brian Pierce here, your host for this fine evening on a Tuesday in Texas. What is it, June? No, it's June 21st because it's my wife's birthday. She is 34 today. What a fine specimen of a woman. And she's put up with myself and uh, we've had two kids together. Another one from craziness in the world. Oh, you guys are lucky I'm here, seriously. No, but thank you very much for putting up with us. Last week was horrible. We have really apologized for all that kind of bullshit. But sometimes technology just gets uh, catches up to everybody, which is what happened. We had uh, needed to, uh, we had, what was it? We had kernel issues. Even with Apple. Dad. Welcome to time, everybody. So my dad's over here watching the show, trying to eat up. He's just eating up bandwidth over here. What a guy, this man. So, of course, welcome to Sea Time. This is the online show for the off-road enthusiasts. We're the beer-drinking, binge-racing show that's going to bring you through all the news. We're going to try to talk about a little bit of Baja as well. We know last week we were trying to get Jesse Grom on. We're going to have him on tonight. We also were trying to get Josh String on to talk with him about the fact that he did so well at the Full Gas Sprint Enduro and then at the GNCC. Didn't do so hot at the National Enduro this past weekend when he got eighth, but that's okay. Obviously still on a, uh, a terror when it comes to the Full Gas and GNCC, which really is his specialty That's anyway correct. not as much the tighter a um, little bit more single track s- specific national enduros so before we totally get into the show dad what the heck have you been up to well uh cleaning out the garage yeah i heard you've like updated or made sexier your 690 yeah well the yet to be seen but uh, there are a whole bunch of changes that i've made so is this a is it time for like an updated review on the bike like um Look at the fun parts that we've added kind of a thing? Let, let it get done first. Oh, so we're not done yet. Yeah, but we'll have a debutante coming out party for it. Oh, that sounds dirty, and I'm into it. So she'll, she'll come out all dressed up, ready to play. At Sea Time Adventures? Yes, indeed. I like it. I like it. So some of you guys might be uh, checking in a little bit on Facebook. Uh, so I've actually got my phone streaming live right now on Facebook Live. But just in case, if you guys wanted to jump on over to YouTube and check that out, this will not be going the whole time. This is just something I said, hey, you know what? Why don't I just throw it up here and see what happens? So you guys jump on over to YouTube here and uh, help us create the awesomeness. Of course, you can jump in the chat room as well, tlk.io slash time if you'd like to chat with us. I see Matt's in there right now, which we really appreciate. Hello, Matt. Welcome to the chat room. Um, so we're sponsored by Fly Racing, Kinda Tires, and SRT Off-Road. If you guys are looking for any kind of gear to keep yourself cool in this extremely warm and humid weather that we're having down here in Texas, you definitely want to go check out the Kinetic Mesh gear from Fly Racing. You want to go to your local dealer, ask them to try it on, get the fan, and you want to just get that and blow it on your crotch. And you're just going to be like, this is the gear that I need to wear because your crotch is never going to have felt so good in so much awesome motorcycle gear. I promise. I mean, it's just a thing. I know this. I've, I've, and the faster you go, the cooler you'll be. I'm a crotch connoisseur. I understand how this thing works. I think Dad's line's better, but we're just going to go with both of them because they're awesome. So flyracing.com, go check out their stuff. Of course, Kendatire USA. You can lo- learn more about those guys at kendatire.com. We're going to be running the Equilibriums again this year at uh, in Colorado at Seatham Adventures. Then we're going to be doing the Triple Stickies. Not we. At, uh, Not we. That's true. That's true. I'll we as parkers. in it's the proverbial we. I'll there be will be multiple parkers. people that will have them on their bikes. Uh, Not the, the we as in okay. us. 
Um, Chase Crew will have right. Parkers. And he will have the uh, Kenda Parkers on his. If we could get some Kenda UTV tires, I'm sure that Stephen would be totally down to, to, to uh, rep those on his, uh, on his side-by-side for the support crew. But um, And then, of course, for TKO, we're going to switch over to the triple stickies front and rear, that prototype sticky on the back that all you see all the Kinda Enduro Cross riders wear, run because that's the hot business. It is so epic to use when it comes down to being in that kind of humid, humid, slippery, nasty rock that, that happens that in Tennessee. TKO last year was so much fun to watch. I can only imagine what it was like to ride. It's way more fun to watch than it is to ride, I'll be honest. I was just about to say not. Yeah. I mean, way more fun. Last man standing. Huh. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, SRT off-road. So we're talking about TKO. We're talking about Colorado. All of these things, with all the rock that's going on, the elevation, and the way that things just get weird, go watch some of my crashing videos from last year at Sea Time Adventures. And you'll see why your bike needs a little bit of extra protection. You can go to SRT Off-Road. You can go to your local dealer and make sure you're getting those skid plates. Make sure you're getting those pipe guards. You're getting yourself protection for your front and rear rotors and all the other fun bits of your bike. Because that way, you spend a little bit of extra money up front to protect the bike, but it's going to last that much longer. Then you're going to be buying as many parts and potentially fixing holes and cases and all the other kind of crap that can come along with that kind of BS. Breaking at the wrong time. Yeah. I understand. Out in the that. middle of nowhere. It happens to the best of us. Um, yeah. So we're going to have Jesse Grom on here. Uh, I'm going to shoot him that text, Stephen, that says we're coming in hot and, uh, and let him know that it's coming. So Jesse Grom uh, recently was, quote unquote, there was an email that said he was not on the beta team anymore, right? And so we're going to find out a little about that. And then, of course, once he did get uh, the next GNCC that he was on, he was on kind of a little bit of a privateer KTM ride, got himself on the podium, got second place, did awesome. This past weekend at the National Enduro, mm-hmm. he got third. He was on the podium. So I think it's going to be an interesting discussion because we know that Jesse Groom is a great rider, right, which is awesome. Um, but then we get to learn a little bit about so some of the things that went on with Beta, and we get to learn about how he transitioned back over to the KTM and some of the things that he goes, okay, these are some of the changes I need to make. This is how I need to ride this bike versus the other bike. So that's going to be fun. So we have there to say, is. before we even get going with it, Mr. Jesse Grome, how is your evening going, kind sir? Uh, yeah. yeah, not too bad. Just wide open, you know, all day, busy, just running around. Are you still a Boilermaker? Yes. Yep. Yeah, actually, I got a, uh, was on the phone a bunch today. I got to do a, a weld test tomorrow. Me and another guy got to go out to Philly and uh, make or break. You pass a test, you go to the job, and if you fail the test, you don't get paid, you don't get to go. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that's good that it's that, uh, that, that dedicated. You know, it's one of those situations where, I mean, you, you got to actually be able to do what you say you can do to make your money. So that's good to hear. Right. Right. Well, exactly. Well, um, congrats on you having ridden your KTM as, as, as well as you have the past two weekends. Um, it, we've always known that you've been a good rider. You've been on the podium before. It's not like this is unexpected. I think the chain of events that kind of brought us to where you're at on the KTM now and being on those podiums and things like that might be the part where we're kind of like, um, I don't know, like how good you going to do in those circumstances, yeah. you know, changing quickly. Um, back to a familiar bike, sure, but still a lot of different kinds of things going on. So you, you kind of take us where you want to go to start this off. Do you, do you want to like just dive in and talk about some of the beta stuff and how it was being on the team and then kind of the weird press release that we all got when you weren't on the team anymore? Or would you prefer right. to talk a little bit more about what has been going on uh, more recent? Because you know we want to talk about both of them. 
Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Whatever. I'll just start. Uh, we just had two podiums, two weekends in a row. You know what I mean? We had a third at the national, <laughs> um, and then a second and a sixth overall. A second XC two, sixth overall at the GNCC. Um, so that was pretty good. Um, but yeah, with the beta thing, um, basically it was pretty unexpected. Uh, you know, I wasn't planning at all to to go anywhere. I was hoping to stay with the team. But, um, you know, long story short, um, my mechanic and I had some issues with um, some management stuff. And basically, um, in a nutshell, I presented the issues and uh, management wasn't really open for discussion. And one thing led to another. And that was it. And I was very thankful. And I made sure I put that in my communication, my, you know, whatnot. So... Um, it was unexpected, but I think I'm in a better place now. Okay. And, you know. Yeah, here's an interesting question. Now, granted, I literally do not, I know this is going to sound weird, like I'm trying to hide around the, the truth. I do not know what those uh, situations were that you're referring to. But yep. what makes yeah. me... What makes Nor do me, we need to. Yeah, no. And, and one of the things that I immediately jump to is what we've seen a lot in... Uh, motocross and supercross where guys have been forced to ride air forks because that's what the bikes are sold right or that, air shocks right yeah and they're so a situation now again no you don't need to talk about details but is it a situation where it's kind of like you wanted to change something that maybe overall would have made the bike look different than the way that it's sold um you know what i mean like is right i understand i understand what you're saying yeah um you know you're saying basically like there's guys who didn't want to run air forks or whatever, but it wasn't, I mean, there was things where maybe I would want to have changed on the bike. Um, betas are a good bike, but, um, you know, every rider has their things that they like to, you know, tweak. Um, but it wasn't totally, uh, the bike side of it. It was kind of the other side of it. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another, I wasn't, you know, expecting to part ways, but you know, that's just kind of the way it went. Yeah. Well, I mean, you were on the bike for, for on the beta team for what, about two years? Would it have been a full two years? Yeah, at the end of this season, it would have been a full two years. And last year, I had that gnarly concussion where I KO'd myself. So I uh, didn't do too much to the end of the year. We got a, a third at an Enduro and I think a third in XC2. So, right. Um, but yeah, so a year and a half. I rode a beta for. Well, uh, I mean, I, granted, you're not on the team anymore, blah, 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 but you talked about the bikes being good. I think it's I think it's still something to talk about because of the fact that people still kind of question the beta, right? You know, we've, we've seen a right. lot of, uh, uh, I don't want to say a revolving door, but I've already said it. So it's kind of a revolving door with a couple of riders that have kind of come in and, and quickly either seem to have left or have been asked to leave, however that kind of comes across. So again, like I, I doubt that has anything to do with the bike itself. So just let's just talk about the bike. When you're right. on that beta two-stroke, I mean, like how do, you know? It's easy to relate to a KTM because of the fact that there's so many KTM two-strokes out there. How right. how much does it relate to you know uh, an equivalent, you know, two-stroke KTM? Um, yeah, it's a little different for me. I felt like the beta kind of the steering was a little quick for me. Like I had to it kind of felt like. Um, it was kind of knifey kind of, so I had to drop the sag way down. I'd, you know, um, you know, lower my forks, you know, raising the front end and, um, you know, I wrote, ran my rebound really slow, my rear shock, that sort of thing. And that seemed to work well. Um, but, uh, yeah, they had a similar European kind of feel. I think I'm a little more comfortable on a KTM, but, um, 
but yeah, it's 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 similar. They have a six-speed transmission transmission um, like a KTM. I think I changed gearing a little. Uh, we were running a 38 millimeter carb on the Beta, uh, running a 36 on the KTM. So yeah, they're 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 similar. I feel a little bit more at home on the KTM. Right. Yeah, and, and I think with with people that have had to to go back and forth with different brands and things like that, you still kind of have mm-hmm. that that home feeling, right? Yeah. You know, you've you've we've all kind of gone through that. Yamaha, KTM, Suzuki. Yeah. For me, <laughs> all of those would be where you're. And your an heart, ATK. That ATK was, was a, a bad idea. Yeah. The ATK was a bad idea. Um, there was a, a couple Sherco two strokes that I rode um, a couple uh, maybe two three years ago. Um, and I felt a little bit of what you're referring to in that knife, nut knifey situation. Now, granted, this was a demo ride. It was not like I had a chance to go out there and, and completely adjust the bike. I know that if that had been the case, that Clay would have been like uh, Clay Stuckey would have totally let me, you know, work that bike until it was uh, until I felt more comfortable on it. But I thought that that was interesting. That was one of the first bikes, and I haven't had a chance to ride a Beta. The first time that I kind of right. like got on a bike that felt so that like almost too nimble. It was kind of right. like a weird front end feeling. So that's interesting right. about the beta. Um, I know that Mark Weeks um, is now riding, has been riding a beta for a little bit. Uh, it'll be interesting to talk to him too. Well, what's Who it? Who is that? Oh, was Mark Cook. Angle? Sorry, Mark Cook. Because I noticed you said you uh, dropped your forks in the frame, which is you know just the opposite of what I do. I raise the forks in the frame to kind of get most of the Japanese bikes to steer better. But was it a fork angle issue where they were too steep and therefore gave you that that knife kind of cut? at low speeds plus head shake at high speeds right yeah well um we also actually i forgot to mention we also changed the triple clamps i think on the beta they're like a 20 millimeter offset and uh we went to the 22s and um just to kind of get it to be a little bit more stable and i run a steering dampener i run a scott's dampener uh on all my bikes so so yeah i just kind of drop the forks down just to get it to be a little more stable and not steer so quick and the steering dampener and that's what worked for me is that the same i haven't never done this and i know that riding a ktm you probably have is that the same direction that most people go on the ktms they go to the 22 and a half uh when it comes to the changing the the triple clamps opposed to the 20 does it come stock with the 20 or is it vice versa i'm pretty sure the i'm not 100 percent sure but i'm i'm pretty sure the ktms come with 22s on them uh, I think in 2012 I, I put 20s on and to get it this year a little quicker, but I, it was kind of unnecessary I think. But I'm I'm pretty sure it's 22s and they seem to be good. I just kind of leave it and the bike you know handles great. Right. Okay. Then it's me. probably where it comes 22 stock and it goes to like a 20 and a half uh, is what most right. people probably do. Then like you're saying to get it to actually turn a little bit quicker, opposed to in your case you're saying it was almost too quick sometimes. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. The, the worst of all worlds was my 400 Yamaha, we had this monstrously long motorcycle like an (laughs) 18-wheeler, and then they had a real sharp steering angle to try to get it to turn. It didn't work. It didn't work. It was no fun. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, I rode, um, in 2013, I rode for Ampro Yamaha, and um, I rode the YZ252 stroke, and uh, I thought the bike handled pretty good, and there's nothing like that uh, KYB suspension. That stuff works. I'm talking 19... 1999, 2000 here. So yeah, yeah. There's a delta between my Yamaha and the one you rode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've yeah, learned a few a lessons since back. then. I, I've, it's, it's funny you mentioned that, though, the, the 250, the YZ250. I've, now that they have the YZ250X, 
That's kind of right. like I, I. I mean, like I honestly think you know because. Dad and I, I mean, I talked to, I mean, how many people did I talk to when I got that 350? I went back and forth so much because I really enjoyed riding that 250F when they came out with it, the FX. And I was like, I think that's going to be my bike. And then I wound up getting the 350 just because I wanted to get that little bit more power. But I really do think I kind of missed the two-stroke feel, but I'm still in the mood to kind of change it up. And now that Yamaha does have that 250X, I think that that would be a stellar bike. To, for somebody like myself, who I get to ride rarely, I get to race even less, and when I do, mm-hmm. I want to have fun, right? Like, I'm not, I, I just want to have a, a traditional setup that works for me and just kind of go for it. I'm not going to nitpick or right. anything like that. Like, that would be really cool. Um, yeah, but, yeah, you know, I, uh, sorry, I agree. I think your 350 is the best bike for you, but that's, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll that's just the old man talking. We'll figure it out. Once they have direct injected two strokes, then we're talking. Well, I know with that 250. Uh, that's a step in the right direction for Yamaha for the off-road stuff because I know, you know, Randy Hawkins, when I rode for them, um, when I rode for him, I remember him saying he was pushing for that for a long time to have a, um, you know, a, a, a Woods, kind of like a KTM XC or mm-hmm. XCW, but a Yamaha, and I guess they finally delivered, you know. Right. So. If anybody knows how to win on a two-stroke, it's Hawkins. Yeah. I mean, he did it for yeah. years. Randy Hawkins was the beast. Well, dude, okay, so let's talk a little bit about because the the press release stuff kind of comes out. We're like, holy shit, he's not on beta. This is crazy. And then like a little bit yeah. after that, you know, your stuff comes out, and it's like, okay, well, then you have you uh, and I. I have spaced unfortunately on the shop that has helped you out, which the dude has the most stellar mustache, lots of, <laughs> lots of mustache envy for sure about yeah. that fine gentleman. I, yeah, know, I know he's an upstanding citizen with that kind of a mustache. There's no question <laughs> that. Um, but talk to us about what that was like. Okay, well, crap, i got to figure some stuff out so I can keep going racing. Like, what was that like? And, and, and then what got you to the partnerships that you that you have obviously done, worked with the past two weekends? Right, right. Well, um, yeah, I've known – that's Evan Yarnell. Um, with, he owns a KTM dealership in uh, Downingtown, PA. And um, Jeff – um, passed by my mechanic. He, um, he actually he lives right down the road from me, but he's been going to Evan for years, and I've used Evan for some couple different things for help with some motor work and stuff. And um, just uh, Jeff is always in touch with him, and I've been in touch with him a little bit here and there. And uh, Jeff made a phone call, and basically Evan was pumped. You know, he uh, he really loves GNCCs and he loves National Enduros. He used to be uh, Mike Lafferty's mechanic. I don't know what year, but I know he he used to work for Mike. Um, yeah, so he knows what he's doing and he was psyched and he's like, yeah, we'll get a bike together. He's like, I can make something happen quick. And basically in a week he had a fully prepped bike for me and picked the thing up and went out to the GNCC and, you know, and ripped it. Dude, how much, so how much time did you have on this machine? The hour meter had like an hour and a half on it total. And that was like heat cycles, you know, you know, warming it up and, taking it out so basically i rode it for an hour you so, know so you basically had to go race with you adapting to the motorcycle rather than adapting the motorcycle to your riding style which is uh, pretty commendable yeah yeah so it felt it felt good i mean we just he uh put the closed cartridge forks on because the 4cs stuff um i guess you know i haven't really rode them too much but uh, i don't think they work as well as the closed cartridge and evan you know, basically uh, set everything up and uh, had a good idea of what I used to run on my KTMs and just kind of went out and raced it. And, uh, 
we're making some adjustments and we can only improve, you know? Yeah. yeah. When, you, when you get the bike modified for you, you're going to be a killer. Yeah. yeah. You're going to be such a badass. It's going to be awesome, <laughs> Mr. Grove. Forget making the podium. <laughs> How about standing on top? I know, right? Get to that top step of the podium. Yeah, uh, that's the goal. So I'm very thankful for, you know, all the, um, him jumping on board and helping me out right away and everybody's still behind me, you know? Yeah. Well, did you potentially lose any sponsors or, like, who stuck with you and who really, like, you know, that's... Yeah. So, yeah, I still... Um, I got Fly Racing still with me and um, Arai Helmets, CD Boots, uh, Scott Goggles. Those are my personal sponsors and then some other sponsors. Um, oh, and Liat. And um, I was able to make a bunch of phone calls and, you know, it was tough halfway through the season, um, you know, picking up sponsors. Everybody's budgets and everything are done. So <laughs> Yeah, they're already uh, talking like 2017 budgets. Like yeah. They're like, wait a minute. No, we don't have money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So... You know, um, Ken the Tires, they're still behind me, and they're just, you know, and uh, like FMF was able to squeeze out a couple pipes and uh, Dirt Trick Sprockets, they're going to hook it up. And, you know, I got Carb Sport um, nutrition stuff. So I still have a lot of good people behind me, which I'm psyched for, and uh, it's tough. I mean, you know, I'm calling overnight and I had to overnight a tank, you know, and everything else, and just to make everything happen, it was pretty tough. But, yeah, that's got to be tough. There's been, a, there's been a couple times I know that Dad and I have had to scramble. And again, like we're we're enthusiasts these days for sure. Like you know, but it's 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 really awesome when people go out of their way like that to make sure that what you're trying to accomplish gets accomplished. And right. I, well, I say it like that because it's not like you know, it's not like they're being pressured by anybody. To, you know, because they could be like, dude, it is Friday afternoon. There's no way I'm getting a tank overnighted to you by tomorrow. Like, but right. you know what I mean? Well, like, obviously a bad example because that's probably not exactly what happened. But still, like, yeah. and so we've been in weird situations like that. So that's cool that the people that you have been working with have been so right. You know, well, yeah. If it wasn't for, for you. you know, for Evan and uh, Jeff, they they really helped make it happen. Otherwise, I would have just went out on a stock bike right off the showroom floor, and they you know they put a lot of hard work in and, and helped make it happen for me. Right on. Okay, so two fifty XC was that what you were on? Yep, yep. Okay, now granted, it sounds like they, you know, he did a lot of changes, uh, mm -hmm. or, or he did a lot of setup, right, that yep. he, he chose to do for you, um, and mm -hmm. now you've been on it again at the National Enduro, got third place. Mm -hmm. what, what kind of, has there already been some evolution to what Evan did and now where the bike is sitting? Um, and yeah. talk us through some of that, like, because I think a lot of people ask questions because maybe they don't get why people make a lot of the changes yeah. that they do make to a motorcycle. Like your comments earlier right. were incredible. You know, to get the bike to, to slow down steering, you change your dampening on the rear. Most people wouldn't think And that's that. the James Stewart thing. Like, if anybody's going to make that connection, go watch the way James Stewart rides. And the re his ass is always like, you know, and it's because so the way that he steers with his rear end, he doesn't want the front end to be super nimble. He wants it to be super chopper. Yeah. Right, which, which is what you were wouldn't. trying to create. You were trying to create more chopper. Right, right, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So basically, we rode that GNCC, and the forks felt spot on, perfect. The shock was a little stiff. So, um, you know, second time around, Evan um, softened up another shock for me. We got that on, and uh, practiced on that actually today. So that we made a little adjustment there, um, but really we didn't change too much since that GNCC, you know, we, 
put a 51 rear sprocket on v-force reeds you know he took the boysen out um tm design chain guide you know uh indoor engineering shark fin you know slave cylinder guard just all the necessities for smashing into rocks and trees and you know how that is so yes. um, i mean i personally personally have been using the srt off-road shark fin but you know right you know you use what you use right you know yeah, hey, they're a good, they're a good company too. Yeah, yeah. And those those are the handlebars going so. on my six ninety. Oh I yeah, can, no, we're, I can we're, tell you in advance. That's, we're big flex bar fans. That's not like that's the thing. They're not even a sponsor anymore. But I'm such a big fan that I'm like, nope, everybody should have a pair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they make good stuff. Um, okay, what about engine wise? Like we did, you know, we talked. Okay, you just talked about the fact that it's like softened up the suspension a little bit. It was a tad bit too mm-hmm. stiff in the rear. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always thought it's interesting um, how people can, and I'm not one of those guys. I'm not one of those dudes that can totally. The only thing that I ever did on my 350, I never did it on any of the two strokes, was I was like, okay, when I try to, you know, start turning the throttle stock, it's way too slow. There's just way too much damn play in that throttle. So we had to tighten up the throttle cable so that way I could get less play and it was a little bit more responsive, like right off the right off the the initial right. twist if you will that's about right. it right that's like that's like the, the 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 small parts for me so what about you like where do you get nitpicky when it comes to the engine or do you is that what's what you love about right. the bikes right um i'm not i'm not too bad you know there's some guys that are worse um like i know um with the beta thing um felt like i needed a little more power so we went with the 38 millimeter carb and i know tegan um you know, he was always looking for some more power, and then um, I guess he liked the harder hit or whatever. I'm like a mellow guy. Like on the KTM, um, Jeff was actually just riding my bike before the national, and he's like, "Oh, this thing feels like it's like laggy," but I, I like to have my power like really like like a freaking turd. Like I don't I don't like my bike hitting hard. You know, some guys put a light flywheel in and all this other stuff, but we basically. We took the electric start off in the battery, saves about five pounds. Um, I turned the power valve in the yellow spring so it doesn't hit too hard. Uh, the V-Force reads, um, I guess it gives it a little bit more, you know, responsiveness or whatnot. And uh, that's pretty much it. I don't, you know, I don't really change much. I'm not a big uh, kind of tweaker when it comes to the motor. I'm usually just kind of close to stock and that's it. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what... Uh I don't remember what spring I ran in the 300s. I want to say, uh, is the yellow the most mellow, or the yellow is the stock, the stock power valve spring? So that's right in the middle. The green. Um, that's like a the, mud race, right? Like, the, yeah, the green makes it a real mellow, mellow hit, and the red it hits, hits like a light switch, hits like a, hits like a stock YZ250. <laughs> right. And then, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And see, I, what I think I did is I put the red switch, the red spring in, but I like mm-hmm. I brought it in, mm-hmm. right, so that it had more tension. I don't know. I'm not remembering. Yeah. So it was I like the- it was like one of those things. It's like if if you had the yellow spring and brought it out all the way, or put the red mm-hmm. spring in and brought it in a lot, like it was kind of like right in that like Crossover. general area. Because I don't, I right. didn't like it as as, uh, as hard as you're talking about as well. I think I should probably try what you tried is go back to the stock. Um, right. You know, right. If, if I ever wind up with another power valve 300 uh, run, KTM. Run more like a four stroke. Right. Yeah. A little bit more torque in that 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 and less wheel spin and and dry leaves and pine needles and stuff. 
with the with the high revving, you just get wheel spin when you yeah. don't want it. You said wheel spin? Yeah, off roots. Yeah, and wet. And pine yeah, that's needles. that's that's my thing. I uh, that's I'd rather put the power to the ground. You know, when you have the thing hitting hard, um, like you said, uh, you're breaking loose, you're breaking you know traction, and you're not driving forward. And so I like to have smooth, controllable power. You know, sometimes it feels like you're going fast and the bike's making a lot of noise because you got the short muffler on and it's hitting hard but that's not always the ticket yeah yeah but, but you look cool damn it but even yeah, even, well, yeah. <laughs> even if you have the power valve that is set yeah for, that's important too <laughs> but even if you have the power valve set for torque once you get the revs up it's going to open yeah so right. you can still have that two-stroke top end mm-hmm. even though you've got a more mellow bottom end and that's what I think, like, the 300, like, when I started riding the 300 over the 250s, I realized that that was, that, that was what you gained. Like, even though you got those extra 50 cc's, like, riding the 300, like, and again, it's just extra cc's. They don't do anything different. Like, it's just a different, you know, it's not even a different head. We still had bigger uh, Or it's just a different head, sorry. It's like in a piston. Like, it's like, what the hell? But for some reason, that extra, the way that they make that engine, like, you get so much more torque um, opposed to just, like, you know, all bottom end or all top end. Sorry. But once you get up around six thousand RPM, I don't care what spring you've got in there. That valve's going to be open. Right. Yeah. Right. But, and you're still going to get a two-stroke top end. Mm-hmm. Before, before we let you go, talk to us a little okay. bit about the National Enduro because that's one of the things where this was this is a little bit of a newer, I think, on the schedule. I haven't seen this one throughout the years as much as I have obviously a lot of the other ones. So take us through how the event went for you. You know, you got third on the box, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, and talk us through some of the tests and how it went. Yeah, uh, first test went good. I ended up winning the first section, and then uh, the second section, I guess I pretty much sucked in, and uh, I was like 20 or 20 something seconds off the pace, I think. And uh, I don't even know what, what I was doing in there. I, I, I didn't crash or nothing, I was just arm pumped up, I guess. And then uh, I just basically stayed consistent the whole day. Um, had some third, fourth times. Uh, going into the last test, uh, I was five seconds ahead of Grant Baylor for third, and I actually crashed in the last section. And I was, you know, think running through my head like, oh, I ruined it. You know, I'm going to be off the podium. And I just kept my head down and pushing and ended up, you know, finishing. I think I beat him by six seconds out of the section for so for 11 seconds ahead of Grant for third. And uh, it was pretty brutal. It was hot. A couple guys said, you know, that it was one of the toughest Enduros in a while. And uh, there was a lot of guys laying on the ground when they got back. I know, mm. I know. I think, like, Russell and Nick Farringer went and cooled down in the creek. I I know I saw, mm. I think I saw Grant and Stu laying down. And I, I was trying to push my bike into the back of the van. I started getting cramps. It was, <laughs> you know, from just dehydration, sweating all day, you know. It was yeah. a tough race. That's awesome. Well, you don't, you don't hear that that often anymore when it comes to the National Enduros. I, I'll be honest. Yeah. Like, Right. Um, so that's good to hear that. I think that they've, you know, they're put the endurance back in enduro. Yeah. Right. It was. It was actual. That was a tough, a pretty tough enduro. And um, I guess the land was um, logged there at one point. So it was really stumpy. I mean, there was a bunch of stumps kind of everywhere. You had to really stay on the same right in the on the main line because you were taking a risk with nailing a stump if you got out of the main line, you know? Mm. We all know knows what that can do to big toes. Uh, how many, yeah. <laughs> how many cans <laughs> of fluorescent Blow your freaking knee out. Oh, uh, yeah, dude. Dad blew his big toe up in a... Knocked it a, off. A stump. 
you know, between the foot peg and the and the stump, it just blew up in the boot. Yeah, that sucks. You yeah. don't then you're it, you feel the pain and then you're nervous to take your boot off. Uh, you're like you're like, what's this gonna look like? Squish, squish, yeah. squish. You're like, that's squish. full of blood. That's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> Wrapped well, it up in paper towels and duct tape and went to the hospital. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, that's not fun. You end up cutting the boot off with with, with a saw or something. No, I took it off, but I wound up then <laughs> wrapping it and then putting a, I had fortune, and I had standard transmission, so I mm. put my foot up on the, on the dashboard, my right foot, and had to do both the gas, the clutch, and the brake with my left foot. That was no fun. That's like real manly shit right there, Dad. Well, yeah. if you drove a Dodge van back in the 70s, 70s. you didn't have an automatic transmission. He didn't have a cell phone to call anybody buddy nope. either, you well, know. Well, I had you know, a couple guys to help me. <laughs> he had a couple quarters. He could have put in a payphone yeah, somewhere. Quarters and a payphone. <laughs> he had to walk uphill both ways to get back around. <laughs> he, no, he had to, he had to <laughs> hobble because this, this foot's obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and the worst part was when he was putting that darn snow barefoot. scrub brush in the bottom of my foot because I'm so ticklish. He didn't, like, numb everything? That SOB. What a shitty doctor. We're like, dude, bro, I need some morphine. Let's bring it in. Well, Mr. Jesse Grome, before we let you go, what, what didn't we ask? What do you want to tell us or the world of, of off-road enthusiasts? Um, that's a good question. Basically, um, what do I want to tell everybody? Um, you know, um, basically, things happen that are uh, unexpected sometimes, just, you know, in life and racing, and it's important to uh, keep your cool, keep plugging away. Never give up. Never give and, up. And, um, you know, everybody has their advantages and disadvantages in life, and you just got to take your situation and make the best of it. That's that's all I can say, really. And thanks to everybody who's still behind me. Um, I'm going to keep pushing forward, and uh, I'm never going to give up. Dig it, dude. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show and taking the time to work with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that's Absolutely. a great attitude. Yeah, I agree. And I, I like the – it's tough sometimes to have discussions about – changes to the motorcycle and getting feedback that others could take advantage of right like they speak in first person but that first person is this, is is in here right? right it's not the first person that actually is actionable items and i like the way that you were able to give us essentially actionable items like someone could say holy crap my bike's doing that yeah like i could actually take some of the advice that i got from jesse which he didn't realize he was giving as advice um to then make uh, adaptations to the motorcycle so that's right. what we like more of that, please. <laughs> All right, no problem. Plus right. a few more wins uh, wouldn't hurt either. Yeah, get a couple wins in there. And then when, you, when you win, it's like, it. bro, seat time. Seat time. Remember what we did for Ricky Brabeck? All right, you invite on? me back on once the next uh, when oh, we get a win. Dude, bro, we put everybody on the box. That's all I'm saying. You, you, right. you come on the box. You come on seat time. It's like game on for the career. <laughs> yeah, we, we, were out there, oh, yeah. we were out there saying that sponsors, where are you? You need this guy. Yeah, he, for six months later, he had a factory ride. You know, sponsors, where are you? You need this guy. Well, the good thing wow. is, is two of our sponsors are already on top of this dude. Yeah. So, not cool. a, not in a weird way. You know, they're yeah. Well, not yeah. Fly racing and who else? And Kenda. Kenda. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. We wear the good rubbers. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. You take Where it easy and have wrong? fun out there. Thanks for the good times. All right. Cool. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Great job. Later. Bye. All right, Dad. 
talk a little bit about some seat time adventure stuff. I know you got your uh, butt pack here, and uh, you've, you had some papers and stuff. I'm going to text Matt and let him know that he's coming up on the show, but I will still be here, and we will talk about that, and then we'll get okay. Matt called in. Let me get all my props And Mike, if it, people are wondering, like, why did he close his computer? It died. Um, if anybody... My morning started at 5 o'clock this morning. My apple's bigger and than yours is. My apple's stopped. bigger it than is, yours. It has been a, a very, very long day, so I appreciate for people for just getting off my case. Well, we're going to be putting some, uh, you know, some people have asked what they need to kind of bring. And, you know, this is my dual sport butt pack. There'll be some pictures of it with a lot of the gear um, on the Seat Time website in the next day or two. Plus, I'm retyping something I put together for all of my rookies. That we're go- including this one, who were going to the Colorado 500, um, which did a lot, spent a lot of time in Taylor Park. That was that was my exposure to Taylor Park, and one of the reasons I love it so much is after nine um, Colorado 500s, I missed that tenth one, darn it. I had a lot Apologies. of seat. I had a lot of seat time in Taylor Park. Hi oh. So I'm in the process of retyping. Don't try to read this because you'll never read it. Um, but and look at the pictures because we'll just have some ideas, you know, little things that people forget. Tow ropes, you know, this is this is not a monster tow rope. It's about 15 feet of parachute cord. But I've been towed with this. I've towed with it. I've towed others. Um, and that's a good way to do it. Probably a little bit lighter. You know, than, than some of the more traditional tow ropes that are out there. Yeah, right? you don't need you don't need all the stuff on the back because you can just tie this in knots, or wrap it on handlebars and hold it if you're being towed, so you can let go rather than crash and burn. Right. But I actually uh, have been towed back up a hill with my KTM 300 with this, so it works. It works. And other things you don't think about. I rode with Malcolm Smith for. A couple of years. Yeah, we did. Kerry McEnroth, and, and I thank both of those guys for all they did for me and, and the advice they gave me as, as a newbie to the 500. But the one thing that Malcolm said was, you ought to have your absolute best tools in your butt pack. And I'm scratching my head because I got the crappiest tools that I can find in my toolbox in my butt pack. And he said, the last place you want to deal with a bad tool is out on the trail. So you put your best wrenches, your best screwdrivers, your best of everything in your butt pack. And if you, you know, if you have to buy double, you buy double. So all of my wrenches are basically those high-end ratchet wrenches that I keep in my butt pack. And I've later learned that uh, it doesn't hurt to have, there's some real small um, T-handle hex drive type uh, socket sets that have, if you're a Japanese rider, you know, you're going to want a 10, 12, 14. If you're a European rider, you're going to want a 10, 13. Um, you know, make sure you've got the little T-handle, and you can see it in the picture that we'll post, the little T-handle to have the sockets that you need. Um, you'll also see something in there that looks like gold tinfoil rolled up. And what that is, especially right. when one of us when was riding in Baja up. and he broke down out in the desert, it's just something to put over the motorcycle and kind of put over you to get you out of the sun. Um, so that's not a bad idea either. Plus, if you're ever stranded overnight, you've got kind of a little blanket. So as you look at the, the tool bag, the only thing that's not shown in those pictures is going to be my tire tools. 
Although Brian's just about got me convinced that tubeless is the way to go, because then all you have to bring with you is a, you know, a regular tubeless tire patch kit. You know, if you run over nails. Or, or just don't be an idiot and actually put your uh, slime in, in the damn tires. Yeah. Whatever. Oh, we've got we've so, got somebody important. Yeah, coming so on. it's uh it's interesting. We were talking about the the safety kit or the all the stuff that's going on. But what's going to be fun is we're definitely so Sea Time Adventures is in about three weeks. We're having our call with all the riders coming up uh, Thursday night. So anybody that is already paid and going to Sea Time Adventures, be ready for that call. We're sending all that information. We're going to have updated information like this for all the riders. So they kind of know not just what to prep the bike for, but what to prep themselves for. Um, we do have a couple sponsors that are going to be helping us out with different types of snacks. So we're going to be able to get a bulk purchase of Epic, Epic Bar and Epic Snacks. Um, and, of course, I'm going to work on getting a bulk purchase of some beer. So that way we have that going for everybody. Right? Indeed. Pink. Um, so it's going to be a good time. So th th that's one of the things to look forward to. And what's so much fun about being uh, associated with Sea Time Adventures is that it's not just... Uh, it's not just a ride, you know, it's, it's much more large scale uh, integration and just being a badass and riding your dirt bike. So it's even be a good for the time. chase crew, it was a fabulous experience. Yeah. I just wish I could have gone with you guys. You know, what's cool is I think Brady Davis, who's going to be coming, is uh, his dad's now going to be coming and going to probably ride with you guys. Yeah. So that's going to be a good time. Well, I'm on the 690 this year. <sighs> oh, yeah, we know. All right, let's talk about some tough like. Mr. Matt Reber, what is going on, dude? Not too much, my man. It's good to see you guys again after Absolutely. a long year. I know it has. It's been almost. A, it's been a stinking year already. So is that is that a is that a fun shirt that you're wearing? Is that some raw shirt? Oh yeah, this thing. Um, this year, the club decided to make shirts for everybody who uh, participates in our enduro and hair scramble and stuff like war. So people on the trail know who they can talk to if they need help. Spectators, riders. We're all there to help out. Well, that's so a this, great idea because there's those times where, like, there's so many dirt bike T-shirts, you know, in the mix that sometimes they kind of all, like, mix together. But if you've got, like, very bright, very specific shirts and you tell everybody these are staff people, they have answers to any question or they can get it, that's a good way to kind of approach that without having to wear a damn safety vest. Yeah, those work very best. <laughs> All right, so break it down. What are the dates for the event? So that way everybody knows exactly the date of the event. So it's going to be uh, July 4th weekend, which this year is July 2nd and 3rd. Um, it's going to be a blast. We we're really stepping it up this year. We got Kenda as our title sponsor. Um, so they're really big in what's going on. They're actually um, going releasing their Kenda Ibex tire, which is going to be uh, demoed by Michael Allen from uh, from Dirt Rider, I believe. And he's going to be riding a Beta 300 RR to test out our race so we're really looking forward to this wicked okay well do you know a little bit about the kenda ibeck tire that'd be great to learn a little bit about what what they're why they're debating this tire at uh the tough like roar from what i understand um you've got to ask mike akenda but i believe it's basically the trials compound but in a knobby basically awesome uh, so it's, this might it's, be what we were used to getting and I know that sounds stupid, and I'm sorry for it, but what you used to be able to buy when they called it the prototype tire um, because they had this, like, prototype tire that, that we were able to get and per I mean, purchase from, T from Kenda for the TKO that we would always run in the rear. So maybe now it's not prototype, you know, anymore. It might be a purchasable thing. Yeah, most likely. That's what I think probably is happening. 
vertically. Fingers, <laughs> fingers crossed. Let's see how they can get that going. So we've talked a little bit about in the past about tough like roar and how we've we're seeing a lot more extreme enduros pop up around the country and the world. To be completely honest, the one thing that we haven't really seen is an overall event championship. Um, I, I don't know that we need that, like in the sense that it's like you do this when you do, you know, but something that kind of like starts to create some unity between all of these events um, that people can try to follow these and be like, oh, well, I got to compete in five of the six or I competed in three of the six. And, that, you know, like uh, so that your level of badassery goes up as you try to travel around the country and compete in all these events. Now that you guys have done this for a little while, has there been any weird outside the inner circle discussion of, of some type of American extreme enduro, again, I use the word loosely, but championship? Well, speculation. Um, we have been reaching out to the AMA, as far as I know, about possibly doing a three-race series. I'm not sure which races. The idea may be the Ozark 100-miler and maybe the TKO and ours being the three-race championship series. That's what we would like to see anyway. Um, we're hope, we were hoping to actually push towards that for this year because we believe that it would help all three events. TKO by itself is a very big event and well-run. We're trying to prototype ours a little bit like theirs, but with our own flair. Right. So we feel like if we could have a three-race series, you would see these top-end riders, <coughs> excuse me, um, and maybe a Cody Webb or Colton Haker, um, Nick Farringer, Gersten, Redmond, those type of riders coming around just to do these events, just like Endurocross. Right. So we could all grow together, even maybe um, have somebody from the UK come over, Johnny Walker, Graham Jarvis, uh, Wade, uh, his name's slipping me right now. Oh, uh, Wade Young. Yes, Wade Young. Those type of riders. We would really like to see growth in the States throughout the world as well but um we feel like if we get a championship series we'll see even more riders come in and it just grow the sport even more in the extreme in the extreme realm anyway has there been any discussion with eric pernard about this has he been in, in any of these discussions not as far as i know as of right now um the the one member of the ama joe bromley i'm not sure what he does in the ama for uh People in my club know them personally, and they do. Any out. of us really know what they do? I mean, they they have they have an agenda. Yes, they do. But we're <laughs> that's who we're pushing on. We're trying to see. Hopefully, next year we can have a series. That's hopefully. Um, well, what would be interesting is to see, like now that we're, like 2016, we saw the enduro cross for so many years stretch. You know, from January to December, sometimes it felt like. Um, but people were traveling for here, not racing for two months, all those kinds of stuff. And now it's much more concise and consolidated to the back half of the year. Yeah. It's like August, October, August, November kind of a deal. Like, bam. Well, now that leaves a lot of space open in the front half of the year for a lot of these riders yeah. to, to maybe compete in, in, a, in a series like this. More extreme um, series. Right. Yeah, like a little bit more of an extreme series where they're doing these extreme euros, right, in the beginning, in the front half of the season, or year, sorry. They have flavor like an enduro cross right. like tko does right but the first three yeah. four hundred yards is 
enduro cross. And then we kind of like say, okay, well, then the back half of the year, and, it, and that's why I ask if Eric Pernard is involved in any of these discussions, because one, that guy's got the clout. That guy has put together so many events throughout the past 20 to 30 years around the world uh, that he has made a crap ton of money off of. But at the same time, they're fantastic events. Um, so he's a good businessman and a good organizer. So, And at the same time, you're going to be able to ask him and be like, so what are your plans for 2017 with EnduroCross? Are you going to be in the back half of the year? Or are you going to be in the front half of the year? I could easily plan to make sure that you're completely opposite of whatever EnduroCross is doing because those are the guys you want there if you want to grow, right? Yeah, um, pretty much. So it's interesting. I'm glad we're having this discussion. So you said that you guys have your own flair and your own flavor. I'm going to talk about that some more because I like that we're seeing that. And that's what you see on kind of the more the hard enduro circuit, if you will, around the world, is everybody kind of has their – some their their drop of the green flag and then their wave of the checkered right you got your start and your finish but everything in between it, they tweak it and they change it just a little bit so talk to us again how you guys are kind of doing that to make your event this that much more special um and, and it's going to speak to people a little bit differently than some of the other extreme enduros that we do see out in the states well our our events um the whole idea was when we first did this last year was we want to make something difficult our our races are generally known as the hardest or the harder ones in the East Coast Enduro Association. We actually just had our hair scramble last this past weekend, which the weather was brutal and the terrain is brutal, so it was pretty intense. I actually even raced it. Anyway, uh, so our whole goal is let's take it up a, a step further beyond what our normal races are. We don't want to make anything that's impassable. We want everybody to be able to cross the finish line. That's our goal. But we want to make it so that you'll remember this. And <laughs> last yes. year, I believe a lot of riders did remember this. Um, as far as like um, scheduling goes, we have um, four total races on Saturday, um, two courses. So we split the probably the double A's and the um, the A riders go together on the first course. Then it's the B and the forty-five plus riders, and then we switch to the second course, the double A's and the A's again, and then the B's and the forty-five pluses. Um, we put those times together, then we, half of the, top 50% of each class moves on to Sunday, where we throw every, all those people into one class, and we have them leave the starting line, uh, I believe it's five at a time, like an Enduro start, on adjusted time, and basically it's the top 50 out of that race, move on to the main event, which is a, top, whoever's qualified, like top we changed it this year, the qualification, because we had issues last year. So we're saying that the top, your qualifying matters to the point of the top 10 guys get on the first row, then uh, 11 through 20 on the second, so on and so forth. And there's going to be, I believe, a 15, to, somewhere 15 to 30 second interval between those rows leaving. So the better you qualify, the better chance you have of winning. Because the last race, there is no adjusted time. It's just when the flag drops, it's all go. Right. Awesome. Um, and, ta- and so and last year, was Tegan Temple that won? Did you repeat that? It kind of broke up. Well, who was it that won last year? Was it Tegan Temple? Last year, Tegan Temple won. Okay, yeah, he yeah. Was still, he was still on the KTM. It was funny. You had Jesse on. I was thinking about last year. He was leading the main event, as far as I remember, and he busted off a foot peg. Oh. Yeah, I, post, I posted um, some video, like some small little shots from when we were um, – 
just previewing some stuff. This thing called the Stairway to Heaven, and it's ugly and rocky, and it's a slight incline the whole way, and it's just boulders. And I believe that's where it happened. I'm pretty sure last year, um, and he lost the lead, I think, because of that. Uh, so, yeah. And now he's back on the KTM. Hopefully, no more foot pegs are lost in the process of uh, kicking butt this year. Well, uh, so who, who's coming? I mean, you've you've talked to us a lot about a lot of the riders that are that you've you've been trying to, to gain exposure to. Um, did you have you had a chance to kind of reach out to people and get and get them there and psyched up on the event? Yes, as far as I know, as of right now, Nick Ferringer's coming, Max Gersten's coming, Kyle Redman, Jordan Ashburn. I was hoping to get confirmation from Jesse tonight, but it didn't happen. I think he's going to go. Um, Ryder Lafferty, Grant Baylor, possibly. I'm not 100% on that. Um, and I just talked to Craig DeLong this weekend at our hair scramble because he's actually a, a war club member, him and his brother. Um, Craig wouldn't give me a 100% guarantee. But I think he's leaning our way. He was there last year. I know uh, we beat him up pretty good. So. <laughs> As you should. Oh, yes. He's a younger brother. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Word of mouth. Yeah. Well, we just sent a text message to Mr. Jesse Groom. So if he, if he hasn't already gone to sleep, hopefully we'll find out if he's going to be coming to the event. Yeah, this is... It, it's one of those things where it's kind of... It, it's awesome that these are happening. And being in Texas, it's, it just sucks that they're happening. Because we're so far away from everything. Well, Red River had the opportunity to do things like that, but yeah, land well, ownership and things like yeah, that. Yeah, different ownership, and then the, the, what's kind of tough is, is how far away from you guys from Metropolis, you know, say a city or a potential airport, and any of that kind of stuff. Oh, um, like in not even I don't even think we're an hour away from Allentown Airport. Uh, about maybe two hours from Philly. So it's really not that far. Yeah, see that—that's the good stuff. It's like what we are Poconos? is like, yeah, yeah, about maybe an hour from the Poconos. We were from DFW. We were like a good two hours, like, but that was like the only airport that you could really go to. Right. And then it was, you know, it was a lot of back roads. And the biggest problem about why the Last Man Standing didn't didn't last is because of the fact that. They they did Red Bull didn't get the turnouts that they wanted because of the fact that th- what that means is that they were putting in all this money and just enough people weren't seeing the event, either yeah. being there live or then watching it after the fact, um, and that's a big reason why like something like Last Man Standing just didn't keep up. No, I'm sure that there were other things, but I know that that was a big part of it. Well, has Red Bull been kicking your tires at all? Because they're real active in those extreme yeah. off-road motorcycle things around the world. We have not heard from Red Bull. Uh, I would really like to hear from Red Bull, hopefully next year. Uh, they seem to, to know what's up and be able to really promote the sport really well, especially on the extreme end. You look at Romaniacs and you look at um, Erzberg, and it's just the, the, the viewership you have, you can see it right then and there live. It, it's amazing that you have that opportunity. And, and I think that's really, really helped the extreme, sport, like extreme side of the sport grow because people can actually see it happening live yeah it's, it's a it's a huge plus yeah I, and i know that um what's crazy um is you watch the prologues of these events right and that's where you see a lot of the fan interaction is, is in the prologues because you watch romaniacs you watch erzberg um and even in whatever that one that crazy one that just went on in uh, not spain but a, a a, a South American country, um, they do a B 
big, huge prologue. It's either in the city, right through the city, or right outside of a place where everybody's already congregated. And I feel like that might be the one thing that we're kind of missing to some degree. But TKO, I think, does that really well because they have that kind of central enduro across the area, and they get that going. So even though the longer parts of the event, everybody's out for a bit mm-hmm. and you're kind of like running around to this spot and running to this spot which can yeah. suck and you can miss people and it it's a long day but mm-hmm. it works but the, at least you get that kind of prologue feel where you can kind of almost watch everything happen from one central location um, and you can see when people advance and retard yeah. compared the, to their but competition the, the one thing that's great about these about Red Bull being there is the fact that they can buy big huge TV projectors right and put it up so even when you're in the city and you're cramped into some corner you've got to just watch some guy you know some guys race by then you can turn to the TV and they've got cameras in every corner right and you can watch the race that way which is where we haven't gotten yet and I don't mean that against you guys I just mean that even like the TKO has not gotten there yet we don't have Red Bull money yet in the American um, extreme enduro circuit i don't know if we're gonna get that it would be cool i mean like granted the thing is is with what steven and i can do seat time could be a small version of that we just don't have the finances to show up at an event to buy what it takes to have the signal feed to be able to broadcast this stuff live essentially to the internet from the middle of nowhere um so it's such a weird dynamic of how we can try to grow these things but at the same time, the leap of faith for somebody to give a bunch of money to get it figured out is crazy. But in so. the meantime, you can communicate with riders. You know, you can, you can via email or whatever, do videos of what's involved and invite various riders you know, to what the event is, what it's about, what it can do for them as riders uh, to grow your, your rider base of, with the names you mentioned earlier. And I'm sure you're probably doing that already. Uh, and, um, we try to reach out as many as we can. We really relied on uh, Mike from Kendo to help out a lot with that. Um, and I, I can honestly that's your from, that's your first mistake. That guy, that guy. <laughs> good guy. I love that guy. Good guy. He's I cool. like Mike. I, I, I got to say, you guys helped us last year. I, I remember being out on Saturday at a spot. A guy got stuck, and I I had my helmet off. And he takes his helmet off, and looks at me, and goes, "You were on sea time. You're." You being on that show is why I came. And I'm like, look at that. Look at that. It works if you work it. It works. <laughs> yeah, that's cool, man. That's awesome to hear that. I'm, I'm glad to know that there are the five people that watch. One of them came to your event. Jim Cook watches. I, yeah, I saw that. That was hilarious. And then Jim Holub does yeah. too because he found out about Sea Time Adventures and emailed us. Yeah. He's like, who do I get in touch with? I was like, me. And he goes, holy shit, is this Brian? I was like, yep. He goes, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> but, so, yeah, I think that it's, it's cool. I'm glad to see that it continues to grow, and I'm glad to see that Kenda is putting in an effort. Um, it's just, it, it's, it's crazy because just like with where we're at now with motocross and supercross, where one of those series is essentially where it's at because of an energy drink, and the other is where it's at because of another energy drink. Or an oil company. Um, right. Um, it, it's, it's tough to think that we can't, that we have to have that. Um, you know what I mean? Because, uh, I mean, if, if I had 100000 bucks, I could figure out a way to make it happen. 
the problem is is 100,000 bucks is still nothing when it comes to producing one of the TV shows that comes along with you know putting on an event like what you have or putting on an event like with what TKO has um, because these guys are riding all over the place and it, it's just nuts but it's doable I just think that too many people rely on these TV TV sized budgets to create content live that they don't think outside the box and try to think cheap <laughs> which is which is what we've become increasingly good at <laughs> and where can I get a better show and you might be a better show I think we could probably get a better host for sure no no <laughs> okay um, so July 4th weekend everything's going to kick off it's a two day event or is it an amateurs one day and then pros the second day no we the the way we like it is we like everybody to have to race both days. Okay, uh, awesome. The pros, the pros automatically get the pass to Sunday because, in all honesty, that's who people really, really want to see. But at the same time, we don't want the amateur guys, the double, like our local AA guys, to feel like they don't have a fair shot because they, they spent all their energy the day before. Last year, it poured on Saturday. Absolutely freaking poured. Hmm. And it made it insane. So basically, it made it was even everybody. Um, I remember uh, Mike Brown was having uh, hydration issues at the end of the day on Sunday. Um, Craig DeLong stopped at the bottom of the hill. I looked at him. I said, "Craig, is it tough enough for you?" He goes, "Oh yeah, it's tough." <laughs> I heard a story Wally Palmer was was up at the stairway to, at the top of the stairway to heaven with his head on his bars. I mean, it's what we wanted, and it turned out great. We could have done without the rain last year, but. No, it was tough like roar. It was exactly the way we envisioned it. It was perfect. Good. It always rains in Romania for those things. Yeah. Yep. Um, so what's the what's it the how's it looking now? Is it super wet? Is it super dry? No, we like I said, we just had our hair scrambled the past weekend. It's the same land. We just have different trails we use. Gnarlier um, stuff. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> like uh, the but. Um, it was weird. Uh, Saturday, when the kids were racing, there were puddles. My son was actually playing in. Sunday morning, when I came back up, and I'm I'm sitting in the trail, like cause it, it was 20 degrees cooler in the woods. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, that was filled with a, almost a foot of water yesterday, and it is dry. <laughs> so, and, and the it was great for the race. It was a little dusty in the opening areas, but besides that, it it was pretty good. So, I think we're actually getting rain here right now. It sounds like it anyway. So. It's hopefully going to shape up to be a good weekend come July 4th. Awesome. Well, cool, man. Okay, website. Where can people get more information? All right, so we have our Facebook page, Tough Like Roar. Um, follow us on Instagram, Tough Like Roar. You have, uh, for any information, uh, roar.org. Um, you can reach out to me at matt at roar.org. Uh, yeah, those are pretty much all the sites. Uh, it's, like you said, it's July 2nd. Outside of Tamaco, Pennsylvania, uh, registration is still open. It's a limit of 200 riders. Um, it is uh, $10 gate fee each day, 15 for two days. Children under 12 are $5. Um, we will have South Mountain, Sherco, and Beta demo rides, Task Racing Night demo ride with their lights. We got, like I said, Dirt uh, Rider Magazine, uh, Michael Allen coming to demo the Beta with the Kenda Ibex. Uh, Shan Moore will be there taking fit, uh, taking photos. We have Trevor Bull from Brat Magazine and Pleasant View Productions doing video this year, so we will have video content, thank God. And there will be, <laughs> just for you, and there will be $2,000 in fly racing bucks available. 
Um, this is we're stepping up the payout this year. First place gets four grand. So, oh, buddy, yeah, I want that kind of money. That'd be yeah, nice. Sure right? Everybody say goodbye to Papa Pierce. He's got to go tinkle. Bye, Papa Pierce. <laughs> see you, Papa. Bye, Papa Pierce. He's got this. Yep. I just grabbed my dad's butt. It got weird. <laughs> it got weird. You do, you, you do what you got to do when, you're, when your dad needs a little bit of help. Well, cool, Matt. We really appreciate you coming on the, on the show, taking the time to talk with us. I'm sorry again about last week and kind of shitting the bed on us. Um, it would have been great for us to have gotten this content out a little bit earlier, but we still got it. We're still going to have fun. I know you guys are going to kick ass. I'm glad to know that you guys have somebody out there doing video for you this year. I think that's one of those things where what you need to do, too, when you're talking with them is make sure that they're shooting the right kind of content that you can also use the following year as a pre-race marketing material, uh, making sure you're asking people why they came and getting that kind of information so you could totally kind of use it to, uh, to talk about 2017 um, for, for that whole kind of like pre, pre-video kind of stuff. Definitely. Yeah, we'll make it happen, dude. We really appreciate you taking the time, man. You have fun out there. We will. Thank you very much for having me again, Brian. It's always a pleasure. Damn Skippy. Go enjoy that beer. Uh, I already had one. I'm going to probably have another. <laughs> so You deserve it, for sure. I think, I, why not? I'm not going to tell you no. I, ne- I need another one. Maybe when Dad comes back from the bathroom, I'll get him to get me one. Sounds good. All right, boss. Take it easy. You too. Thanks, Brian. Peace. Later. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about with my dad, um, but he had to run to the bathroom, and I know that all that kinds of stuff happens, is some of the stuff that happened at the Baja 500. Um, I've, I've kind of hinted at it a little bit and i and i say that because it's tough to talk about um you don't really i'm not i've been to baja twice um and it's one of those situations where i wasn't following a lot of the desert racing that went on until maybe five six years ago to be completely honest so i'm I'm, i feel like i'm still very new to racing in baja well I'm, i'm completely new to racing in baja but i'm not new to riding in baja um though i'm still very new to it um, and I just think it's interesting, and I wanted to try to get a little bit more thought process behind what did happen, of, according to you know blog posts, official statements, and things of that nature, of what did go on at the Baja 500. So there were three deaths that did happen. Um, more than that were critically injured um, and had to go to the hospital um, from the event. Um, and what's interesting is... There was a, one spectator was killed as an eight-year-old boy, and two uh, dirt bike riders um, as well also died um, during or, or from the event. Um, the way it is, is kind of talked about, uh, and, I, and again, I was not there, so I've kind of got to rely on a lot of this information that I'm finding on different websites, is, is one of them was actually found dead at his motorcycle, um, and that was uh, Noah Everman. He's a 34-year-old sportsman motor rider from Alaska, um, and he was found at mile marker 180, um, and unfortunately he was found by another race team. Um, and then Pro Moto Unlimited rider Traver, Travis Livingston, it was the, the also was, was one of the ones that passed away. He was 34, he's a California native, um, and he crashed at 288.9, um, and, and it says he died on the scene. There's a little... I, it's like going back and forth between a couple different blog posts. It seems like he might have been the one that actually didn't die 
right away um, where he may have been one of the ones and it's it's so tough to tell what's going on there's no there's no what's the word there's no real uh, morgue reports on this kind of stuff so it's tough to know for sure but um, yeah so oh here it was um, pro moto unlimited rider Travis Livingston 34 of Palmdale California crashed at race mile 288.9 when SCORE medical personnel arrived, while attempting to stabilize him, Livingston went into cardiac arrest and could not be revived. Um, so that kind of stuff is tough. Um, and, and then even in their official press release, they do talk about uh, Noah Everman, 34, from Alaska, was the one that was found dead near his motorcycle. Um, that kind of stuff is just tough. Um, I kind of asked different people about this. Um, one of those specifically is Eric Kudla. Um, and I think a lot of you guys who've watched Sea Time, listen to Sea Time, know who he is, just because he's been on the show a few different times. But at the same time, a huge, huge, huge force on the West Coast when it comes to any kind of desert racing. He's been at the Baja uh, Baja Rally. He's been at all the Baja races. He's, I mean, that guy is just in the desert. He eats, breathes that, and he's also a badass into the punk scene, which rock on. But. One of, one of the interesting things that him and I discussed back and forth is how I said, well, do you think that SCORE hasn't done enough in, in, in the aspect of safety? And he goes, he feel, he, uh, one of the things that came up is that we, in our discussions is that both of us kind of agreed that it seemed like SCORE this year was the year that they were probably the most ready in, in what it's been on trying to be ready for safety and making sure that riders, racers, and spectators were, were of huge concern, more so than maybe in the past. But the problem was is the wreck that happened in the wash um, coming out of Ensenada where the eight-year-old boy was wound up uh, killed and other spectators were hurt and had to go to the hospital is because of that and the holdup of the hour and 10 minutes there took so much personnel that potentially that could have been why all of the other um, severely injured riders that did need medical attention immediately potentially did not get that is because all of the personnel was already taken up literally, I mean, half a mile into the event there at the wash in Ensenada. Um, It's tough to know. I mean, we're getting a press release um, and we're talking to people that were on the scene, but after that, it, it's, it's all speculation and hearsay. So that's one of the things that I don't want to get too much into that. I want to talk about some of the facts that I do know. And unfortunately, that's it, because after that, it's all speculation. I mean, it seems like the race was really damn hot, scored it a better job trying to keep people safe. Shit happened. It, and not to make light of the situation, just shit happened that took a lot of the personnel that they were having to try to help other riders that were in the event, and then it wound up taking them away from other people that didn't need them later on during the event. Um, I'm not a Baja racer. I'm not a desert racer. We've talked about that. It, it seems crazy. Um, there's got to be – I feel there's got to be a better solution. I don't know what that is. I don't know how to make it. If you go look at the video and look at the pictures of the crash that happened – in Ensenada in the wash, I think it's, again, this is completely opinion. I think it's absolute bullshit um, because these guys are taking, they're hauling ass through the city and going into the wash and taking a huge right-hand turn, and there's nothing there. I mean, it's, it's, if you go back to the 70s and watch the motocross pictures and videos where people are literally standing on the side of the track, that's what it was. That's what it is. Um, and at some point, somebody in Mexico is going to have enough of, of us not giving enough of a shit 
to setting up a proper course. Um, and, and if proper course means that you have to spend more money to do it, that's it. We're human beings. Just because we're in Mexico and they don't have the laws doesn't mean that we shouldn't treat people the same. Um, and it's kind of shitty. Um, whether that is what kept personnel getting to the riders or other injured anybody, riders, truck drivers, buggy drivers, all the other people competing in the event, I don't know. Uh, there's no, you can't, that's not a number that you can facilitate and actually look at. But one of the things we know that we can is the setup when it comes to spectators and all that kinds of stuff. And if you can't, I don't know about the Mexican police, if you can't get them to give a shit, then you need to give a shit. And I feel like that is a step that just needs to be taken. Um, it's tough to say that kind of stuff, and I didn't really want to say it without having given it more thought and given it a little bit more research. But I guess there it is. And, yeah, you guys are more than welcome to agree, disagree, give a shit, because there's a comment box for a reason. So if you have an opinion on this kind of stuff and you feel like you either have it more understood than I do, I'm missing something, um, you want to agree, disagree, or whatever. That's why it's there. We don't need you to be a troll. We don't want you to be a jerk. But at the same time, please f voice your opinion. Um, continue to keep the discussion going because that's the only way any of us can ever learn from this. Um, we don't learn from trolls. We don't learn from the internet keyboard you know, ninjas out there that are just going to type buttons and try to be a jackass and, and feel better about themselves. But at the same time, if you want to have something a little bit authoritative to say and think about it, that's fine too. Um, no, um, but yeah, so that's been episode 211. You have a comment? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, Big Daddy's done peeing, and uh, he wants to to bring in a comment. So get this leg to work. we'll see. We'll see. I got I got people I got people commenting on all kinds of stuff, uh, stuff that's going on on the internet. Some of it's sea time related, some of it's not. But yeah. Once, so what's your comment? Once again, a history lesson. Oh, history um, lesson. If you think back to auto racing. You know, IndyCar was unsafe. Formula One was unsafe. NASCAR, people were getting killed by yep. the dozens. All of a sudden, you got sponsors. Same thing with motocross. When you got sponsorships, people like Monster Energy or, or you know, the, the large corporations, they don't want their name tied with somebody who gets hurt right. or killed. So when the sponsors started to put pressure on the organizations... It's amazing, but the cars got safer. <laughs> you know, saw motocross, motocross got safer. So until the, the sponsors, but again, we're just complaining that we don't have enough non-motorcycle industry sponsors. But the other side of that is when we do get those sponsors, they're not going to want to be associated with Ron Dungey having a broken back. You know, or both Stewart and, and Baggett going out Right, 100% of their team going out with injuries. I mean, Suzuki isn't big enough to really shake the tree. But maybe Rockstar is, or whoever their sponsor. No, right. who's their sponsor? For KTM? For is the Suzukis. Oh, uh, which they don't have a. They don't have an. Uh, James Stewart is a Red Bull athlete. That's right. Okay. But the Suzuki Yoshimura team does not have essentially a, a backing energy drink. But until the motorcycle world catches up. And the sponsors start to realize they don't want their name associated with death and injury. Now, whether that'll ever happen down in Mexico is, is unknown. It may happen in Supercross. I mean, just in the last two years, the injury toll on Supercross has been devastating. 
and motocross. And that's an awesome, weird, interesting, interesting point. I didn't think we'd ever wind up in this conversation. So it's been talked about a lot on the Pulp MX show. It's been talked some on DMXS. And it's been a thought in my mind a lot. You and I have talked about the bores of the motorcycle and the amount of power that they have. You know, in, in the AMA and the FIM came in too late. You know, Yamaha came out with the 400. Holy crap, they made a competitive four-stroke, right? Mm -hmm. Like, damn, they made a 400cc motorcycle because they realized that was the CCs to compete, if not maybe have the advantage over the 252-stroke. You couldn't have more than a 400. I believe that was the I, and, regulation. But the thing, and so, but then all, but the, I think the regulation was expanded after that because no one thought that the four-stroke, being that higher CC, would then become the dominant brand, right? So, okay, all that's happened, right? We're where we are right now. Can't we still backtrack? Sure. Can't we just say, sorry, guys. These motorcycles are too powerful. They're too strong. We've got 16-year-olds casing it and killing themselves to try to become a professional you, on a 250cc. You don't remember 500cc two-strokes. I've, I've ridden a 400. They just, they just kept getting bigger and bigger. and You know, my, my favorite was my RM37. Yeah. Became a 400, a four whatchamadoodle, then an RM500. They were unrideable. Honda had one. Yamaha, of course, Yamaha's was always air-cooled, and it never did keep up. Uh, Kawasaki, I think, was the last one that finally threw in the towel on the 500. They were unrideable. You had to put a 10-pound flywheel weight on the crank just to get the thing to, to not dig holes in the ground. Mm -hmm. And then you turn it into a hill-climbing machine. Right. Um, so do we do, is it? Even the manufacturers, what, ha what feels like happened is the manufacturers dictated what bikes people were going to ride. Up until the AMA or the FIM, finally were like, okay, God, we have to stop this growth in CCH. These are going to be the new, the new standards, right? Well, I think we've seen a, a, enough of kind of where that's gotten us. The, would it be so wrong for them to be like, guys, you've got two years. Because in two years, the 450 will not be the competitive, any, the competitive bike anymore of the pro class. It will now be X. And what also will, will bring, I think, more competitive racing is to provide a choice. You know, if you build the situation where you have a choice. Now, remember, a lot of the four-stroke over two-stroke stuff is governmental because of emissions control, mm, yep. blah, blah, blah. The off-road bikes kind of almost have to move toward, toward four-strokes. But if you, if you truly build equality, then you have a choice. Do you want to ride a 400 four-stroke or a 252 stroke Or do you want to ride a 450 four-stroke or a 300 two-stroke? You know, build in parity. I don't know what they're going to do with the young kids. The tracks are just unsafe. You know, it, what we see on TV is the survivors. Right. You know, they've survived the day of carnage to qualify for a supercross. How many kids you don't see on the TV, you know, case it on a triple or, or endo over the, the whoops and get carted off the track. I've never seen so many people carted off the track yeah, as and last I, I, year in Dallas. A lot of that is lack of talent, but a bike that is strong enough to make up for lack of talent. So, it, and I've heard this, this is a discussion I have heard on Pulp MX over and over and over again, is if you were to come out of a turn on a 252 stroke, 
or even sometimes a triple if you could have made it on a 125, right? If you're just totally ringing that thing out, you come around a turn just right, you can clear the triple, right? The second you come into that turn wrong and mm-hmm. don't carry your speed on a, on a two-stroke, that bike dies, right? If you don't keep it in the power band, and so you have to double. There is no, oh, I can try to triple it, right? But mm-hmm. now, because of where we've gotten with the torque of and the, the amount of horsepower of the 250s and the 450s, is that really you can screw up almost until 10 feet before the face of the jump and just, you know, and then seat bounce and just kind of go. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I, I am quoting the discussion. This is not well, firsthand that's, knowledge because that's, exactly, that's not going to be me. That's exactly but. why I started riding four strokes when I got the 99 Yamaha because of that exact situation. I didn't have to be as good a rider to go faster. The bike, yeah, I could be in the wrong gear as long as it didn't stop running like Yamaha's used to do. Um, it, it would make up for me coming out of a corner being in the wrong gear. I'd roll on the throttle and I'd be a happy camper. On my 300, not so much. Yeah. So, I mean, I was exact, that's exactly why I started riding four strokes is because the, the, top of the power band helped overcome some of my deficiencies. Yes, I have lots of deficiencies. That <laughs> Don't was we all. Don't we um, all. But in the case of professionals, the delta is, is so great that these kids, they, they're out of control on the 250s. Oh, I still think about Zach Bell when he was at Dallas oh. two years ago, maybe three. I don't yeah, even I don't know even now. see him anymore. Two, three years ago. No, he's... No. And Cincerillo, oh. I mean, he's lucky to finish anything. He's crashing all the time and yeah. hurting himself. It's tough. Again, man, these are all opinions. You know, we, we yeah. have thought processes. We just kind of, and that's why I didn't want to speak too much on Baja too soon. It's a touchy-ass subject. Some of this stuff is a little bit more, we can go off the cuff a little bit of it, but I don't want to, I'm not here to piss anybody off. But at the same time, we're passionate about this kind of stuff and that's why we've been doing this for five years and why we've been kind of keeping it up. So if you're that same person, if you have opinions, if you have passions, let us know, get in the comments, seriously, like do that. And Um, learn history because if you don't know history, you are destined to repeat the same mistakes. And motorcycling right now is going through exactly what Formula One went through and IndyCar racing in the seventies and eighties. They were killing people every week. And that's the thing is like we may not be killing, but the same like we have just seen injury after injury after injury after injury. That, well, that's true. The guy behind me is no longer with us. Yeah, and, and we, you know, and the story there is that he was racing in Baja and hit a, hit an animal. Uh, and how long did it take him to get help? Too many hours. Too long. Too long for sure. Same thing you were saying earlier that maybe the resources were sucked up in the very first incident going, oh my gosh, we all have to respond, not realizing that maybe we need a team further out and a team further out, because if everybody's here, nobody's there. Oh yeah, no, I mean, that's... that's uh, that makes good sense. Again, from everything, that's kind of what it, in and this scenario... The things we've been you know, to, there's never, seldom more than one helicopter. Yeah, and it's not for medical, it's for the video. Right. It can be for medical, and it will be for medical if necessary, Right. but there's seldom more than one helicopter. Interesting. All right, we've talked too much past our allotted uh, our allotted babysitting. Sorry, time. I had to take a break. It's okay. Know. Everybody's got a tinkle. The the 
curse of the Pierce bladder. Hey, man, it's like an almond. Sometimes half an almond. It's pretty pathetic. But this has been Seat Time. Um, seriously, we are the online show for the offered enthusiasts. We're beer drinking, bench racing enthusiasts. But I mean, that was my first beer. Good, good hearted people that have been riding dirt bikes pretty much their whole life. Five, 14, much older than me, so a lot longer than me. But just having a good time doing it. So hopefully you've enjoyed some of the stuff that we've chatted about and you have opinions as well that you'd like to share with us. So do that. Um, thank you again to Fly Racing, um, Kinda Tire, and of course SRT Off Road for their supportive seat time. What's great is you can go to their, any of their websites, or you can purchase them from your local dealer. We're obviously local dealer supporters. There's a time and a place for purchasing online, but a lot of stuff can be done and said for supporting the sport by going to your local dealer. So definitely uh, think of that as a way to make sure you make that happen. Um, my, my wife is, uh, her birthday party weekend is going to be happening this weekend. We're going to be up in Broken Bow. So definitely, if you don't potentially follow me on Instagram at Woody B. Pierced, I, I think that this might be a good time to go ahead and do that because it would be, be some weird shit popping up on the, on the drinking fire pitting in this weekend. I think it'd be a good time. If that's the best thing you have to do is follow him. It's the internet. Weird shit happens, man. I don't even know anymore. Of course, worse would be following me. That's true. He doesn't even have Instagram, so if you did that, you've screwed something up. Have Facebook. Hey, Papa Pierce has got Facebook, y'all. Watch out. <laughs> the world's being figured out by the older people. Hey, and if they don't go to Sea Time Adventure, Fly has their announcements for Washu. Yep, so the, the same, uh, that weekend, the back half of Sea Time Adventures is going to be Fly's 2017 launch in Washougal. It's going to be a good time for everybody that week. Um, so yeah, pay attention for the website after this week. We're going to have information that we're going to have already set out to our riders for 2016 Sea Time Adventures. We're going to have a lot of fun doing that. Uh, we will be live again next Tuesday. Having a lot of fun. Thank you for paying attention. Brian Pierce, Papa Pierce. Um, remember to always enjoy a pint full of awesome, and we'll see you next week. Peace.